Hi, everybody. Welcome to a special episode of the Womenhood and International Relations podcast. I'm your host, Natalia Bonilla. And this is a complimentary version of an IG Live's limited series on world politics today, Power Revisited, that was launched on September 21st, 2023. The topic of yesterday's IG Live, the first part, was the United Nations New Agenda for Peace. We will be featuring in this episode a short conversation on what we discussed yesterday in the full Instagram live. Um, you can see it or watch it at womenhood underscore IR in Instagram and, you know, join the conversation there or you can just listen to this uh, small brief um, conversation here just to get the highlights and invite all our listeners to check down below in the description box all the recommended links and readings for you to continue doing your own analysis and coming up with your own hypotheses and conclusions. Before we start, I also want to remind you that our next part of the World Politics Today Power Revisited series will be on Thursday, September 28th at 6 p.m. Eastern Time. I look forward to seeing some of you there and joining the conversation with you. And the topic for our second part of the series will be BRICS expansion. So if you're interested in this topic, hope to see you there. Okay, let's begin with the United Nations New Agenda for Peace that was released on July 20th, 2023, when the UN Secretary General Antonio Guterres presented to member states his policy brief on a new agenda for peace. It is important to note that on 1992, there was an original agenda for peace released by then UN Secretary General Boutros Ghali that declared the end of an era of distrust and hostility between the two Cold War superpowers, the United States and the Soviet Union. With the end of the Cold War and the fall of the USSR, the United Nations, through this document, assumed a new role an activist and interventionist role, setting, of course, the policy discussions regarding peace and security for the following three decades. It is important to note that through these um, past three decades between the 1990s and the 2020s, it's been 30 years, um, the United Nations has um, been part of several efforts from humanitarian interventions to um, the responsibility to protect mechanisms to the women, peace and security agenda and the many resolutions that followed and were connected to all of these instances. However, many internal and external conversations on the need to reform the United Nations to fit um, current challenges have grown in the past three decades. The different power dynamics between the UN Security Council and the UN General Assembly the proliferation of nuclear weapons and nuclear technology, the global war on terror, the rise of ethnic conflicts and many um, new wars, uh, actors such as private contractors and mercenaries, the war in Syria, the war in Yemen, the war in Ukraine, and the many um, regional as well as global shocks that each one entailed. And of course, the 2020 pandemic and the consequences that it had on the United Nations system. 
Secretary General of the United Nations, Antonio Guterres, have said back then in 2020 that the United Nations was facing a great fracture, something that we have covered in the past in this podcast. But we didn't know much about the extent of this fracture until um, the UN resolution ARAS 76-6 that I'm going to be listing down below in the description box was approved by the UN General Assembly on November 15, 2021 to follow up our common agenda. And that was a resolution that requested the Secretary General to inform member states and to engage in broad and inclusive consultations with them in what could lead to a new agenda for peace that could help member states agree on common grounds or common values or sets of norms for an upcoming summit of the future that's going to take place between September 22nd and September 23rd, 2024. That means the next year. Guterres has expressed that there's no alternative to reform, that this is going to be a moment of reform or rupture. There's no other option according to his own words. I'm gonna be listing down below the different speeches that he has led so far. So what is the new agenda for peace? It presents 12 concrete sets of proposals for action in five priority areas. Priority area number one, prevention at the global level, addressing strategic risk and geopolitical divisions. This area number one has two policy briefs that are considered action items. Action number one, eliminate nuclear weapons. Action number two, boost preventive diplomacy in an era of divisions. Priority area number two, preventing conflict on violence and sustaining peace. This area number two has five policy briefs of action. Action number three, shift prevention and sustainable peace paradigm within countries. Action number four, accelerate implementation of the 2030 agenda to address underlying drivers of violence and insecurity. Action number five, transform gender power dynamics in peace and security. Action number six, address the interlinkages between climate, peace and security. Action number seven, reduce the human cost of weapons. Priority area number three, strengthening peace operations and addressing peace enforcement. This area has three action items or policy briefs. Action number eight, strengthen peace operations and partnerships. Action number nine, address peace enforcement. Action number 10, support the African Union and subregional peace support. Priority area number four, novel approaches to peace and potential domains of conflict. This area has only one policy brief of action. Action number 11, prevent the weaponization of emerging domains and promote responsible innovation. Priority area number five, and strengthening international governance. This also has one policy brief of action, action number 12, build a stronger collective security machinery. What's the difference between the old and the new agenda for peace? 
This is something that we cover in uh, much detail in the IG live that once again, I'm going to be listing down below in the description box. But amongst the key highlights, one of the main ones is that the original Agenda for Peace talked about the beginning of the post-Cold War era and the end of distrust and hostility between two of the Cold War superpowers, the USSR and the United States. The new Agenda for Peace announces that the post-Cold War era is completely over and that now, in the 2020s, the era that we are entering is one where tensions between states and nations have sown distrust creating potential harm to possible solutions or multilateral solutions towards peace and increasing new forms of states isolation. It acknowledges the reality of major powers competition and that multilateral cooperation has increasingly fragmented creating unequal international order which the United Nations must adapt to. Another key area of difference between the original Agenda for Peace and the new Agenda for Peace is that the role of the United Nations in the 1992 document was more of an activist and interventionist role, very present and very committed to continue peacekeeping operations. In the new Agenda for Peace, this role of the United Nations will change to a supporting role, the role of a facilitator of international cooperation. This decision comes after several months of decisions between states that have questioned the UN roles and the UN's participation and presence in some countries. One of them is the questionable preventive diplomacy that the United Nations tried to um, pursue in the Ukraine-Russia war that started in 2022. Preventive diplomacy, according to the United Nations, refers to diplomatic action taken to prevent disputes from escalating into conflicts and to limit the widespread of conflicts when they occur. Preventive diplomacy has four areas, diplomatic negotiation, mediation, sanctions, and conflict prevention missions. Other world events that are affecting the United Nations role, um, definitely the COVID-19 pandemic and the distribution of vaccines could be considered as one of them. But also the decision of several African nations, particularly Mali, and just recently this week, the Congo, that asked the United Nations to end immediately their uh, strong mission of peacekeeping efforts in their um, countries. On June 30th, the UN Security Council voted to immediately end its more than 15,000 strong mission in Mali as demanded by the country's military junta, which has brought in mercenaries from Russia's uh, Wagner Group to help fight against the Islamic State insurgency. This week, the Congo's president, Felix Antoine, wanted the world's uh, second largest UN peacekeeping forces to move out 
or move up their departure from the country by December of 2023. The UN peacekeeping mission in El Congo is about 17,000 soldiers, blue helmets. Guterres have expressed after all these changes that peacekeeping operations cannot succeed when there is no peace to keep. Other world events that could be considered within this conversation are the several protests and the massive protests in Iran, in Afghanistan, um, the human rights violations with the Uyghurs and the um, Rohingya, the Yemen, the Tigray, the Sudan, and the Haiti conflicts that have questioned the United Nations' ability, capability, and commitment to create long-lasting peace or playing a major role to create long-lasting and sustainable peace. So what has been the reaction to this new agenda for peace of the United Nations? The European Union has backed the document. The country of Egypt has presented um, several concerns over the overacting or overreaching of several proposals. And Russia particularly has warned over the possible interference in internal affairs and the agenda's emphasis in human rights, deeming it controversial. Guterres has expressed that the prevention is often perceived as a cloak for intervention, something that during the summit of the future, 2024, the UN General Assembly will need to address, as well as the rise of artificial intelligence and a little autonomous robots or killer robots, which are creating new ways in which, according to Guterres, humanity can annihilate itself. To finish this episode, and once again, invite you to listen to the full IG Live if you want to dig deeper and, you know, learn more. What are some comments and reflections that we can have from the new Agenda for Peace? With this document, it is very clear that the United Nations is aware. There is a rejection of systems and all ways of protocols. That there's a recognition on the bureaucratic nature of the United Nations and the need to reform, that there needs to um, welcome a shift of the roles that the United Nations needs to play in order to you know, fulfill the UN Charter and its foundational principles. And that the efforts to achieve peace mostly relied between member states of the United Nations and that the organization sees that you know, its effort for peacekeeping and peacebuilding and peacemaking um, needs to happen through the will of the member states, not through the will of the organization. Very interesting that feminist foreign policy models are not mentioned in this report, though many of these FFP models have revolutionized the way that we are seeing world politics today, and some of them do have a very strong women, peace, and security agenda programming. So it's interesting to note that the new agenda for peace does not feature them. Um, it is seen that um, the shrinking of civil society because of the rise of authoritarian governments and uh, 
the loss of the liberties in some parts of the world and you know the rise of human rights violations have put into question the ways and the spaces in which civil society can be part in uh, framing the new agenda for peace. This is one of the main criticisms that the Safer World podcast, uh, Voices for Peace, I'm going to be listing it down below. They have featured three um, experts to talk about the new agenda for peace. And uh, one of the main concerns that they have addressed is that civil society actors were not necessarily invited to join the conversation on the new agenda for peace or the formulation of this document. That itself is concerning as the United Nations is seeking to move into a multi-stakeholder organization, including the corporate sector, which is also a motive of concern of several experts. I'm going to be listing them down below that consider that corporate influence can be in detrimental to policy making and decision making of states because corporations in some countries do hold stronger or more power or influence on certain issues than governments themselves so that should be like a fine line that the united nations um, needs to take in consideration but yeah, I want to know your thoughts. I want to invite you to share over your comments, your questions, and uh, your reflections on the United Nations New Agenda for Peace. I'm going to leave you with three questions for you to reflect upon. One of them is, have your views on the United Nations changed since the 2020 pandemic or prior to it? Which moment of impact do you think shifted UN's commitment and capability to peacekeeping efforts? And number three, what are your views on the new agenda for peace? Will it help reform the United Nations or the IR system and the study of it? If so, how or why? That's it for me today. Invite you once again to follow us on Instagram, on LinkedIn, and on Twitter at womenhood underscore IR to join our Patreon community to support the growth of this independent platform and to join, if you like, the monthly gatherings where we discuss these and other topics and invite you to tune in to the IG Live, the second part of World Politics Today, Power Revisited, on September 28th. Thursday at 6 p.m. Eastern Time on IG, Instagram at womenhood underscore IR. See you then and thank you so much for tuning in. Talk to you soon.